Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's a very special free exchange this week as we're joined by none other than Boris Johnson. I, I think we can do it. I agree to the Olympics. Keir Starmer. We would agree with the Prime Minister when he gets it right. We disagree when he gets it wrong. And the President himself, Donald Trump. And we knew. We knew, by the way, we knew all along. They did not know, but now we're being proved right, so... Hello and welcome to Free Exchange. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx. Our guest this week is Matt Ford, one of Britain's foremost stand-up satirists and impressionists. He's not only a highly successful stage comedian, but he's also the voice of Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer and Donald Trump on the revamped version of Spitting Image, as well as the author of a new memoir, Politically Homeless, about his time working for the Labour Party and his stark disillusionment at the rise of the hard left. Now, Matt knows a hell of a lot about politics and can certainly do the serious stuff, but this was also a really fun, funny episode, and I hope you all enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is, by the way, this is just going to be the podcast version. It's not, uh, we're not going to have like a YouTube version. That's okay. Um, I work better in non-visual form. <laughs> Fair enough. As I get told on Twitter all the time. Yeah, so your new book is just out in the last few weeks, Politically Homeless. I do want to start by taking issue with one thing, which is you say in the book, journalists are lazy. Oh, um, man. When I oh, literally, is... I read literally the entire book. So, <laughs> so you're not lazy. Secondly, I think I do qualify it by saying a more generous view would be that they're overworked and all the yeah, rest yeah. of it. I, I recognise kind of... that description. A lot. And not all <laughs> journalists are lazy. I'm sure I make that point as well. It's yeah. more. Uh, this is the question journalists have asked me the most, unsurprisingly. But it's more. I guess it applies to kind of local papers that really are uh, stretched and underfunded. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, they're all they're all lazy. Trust me. I certainly was not thinking of John Ashmore when I made that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we worked really hard. I mean, this is a story. As you, I think it says on the back, this is a story of political obsession. Um, you started getting into politics at what, for most people, would seem a ridiculously young age. I think you say eight years old. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Thatcher went, it must have been eight, yeah. Do you have uh, a first memory of being into politics or an event where you thought that's the first big political event I remember? 
I remember this being stuff around. I remember the year 1990 happening, and obviously it wasn't quite the millennium, but I'd have been seven on, you know, the, when 1990, you know, at the start of the year. And I remember that being, I remember seeing Thatcher on the front of the Daily Mail. Um, my mum always got the Daily Mail, despite being a Labour person. But I think it was because the telly guide was really good on a Saturday. <laughs> and the print doesn't come off in your fingers, so there are some benefits to it. Um, and the sports section was always very good. But I just remember... I remember the day. I remember the day Thatcher left. I remember Thatcher's name was just about, you know, I grew up on a, I grew up in a, in one of those streets where it's terrace, it's like the, it's like the opening credits of Coronation Street, it's just rows and rows <laughs> of terraced houses that are like packed in tight. So yeah. we had our front door was straight onto the street. Our back door, we had a tiny little, literally a yard that was like a concrete square. And the, that was lined by a wall that was probably only sort of chest height. So you could see into everyone else's backyards. And then the next street's backyards were just over from your backyards and then their house like that. So just rows and rows. So you've got a community, a lot of people just living in a tight area. Yeah. So obviously at that time, I mean, it was in Nottingham. It wasn't so much, you know, the minor strike was a big deal in Nottinghamshire, but in, in the city centre, I just remember, I just remember Thatcher's name was just about. And as a kid, it wasn't that I knew she was the prime minister or a Tory or anything like that. It was just the name was just ubiquitous. So it was it was almost like maybe she was a family member or certainly a member of the community in some way. So that when she left and everyone was going, oh, my God, Thatcher's gone. I remember walking down the street into town with my mum and sister and this guy, this punk rocker, um, comes up to my mum and goes, she's out, she's out, she's fucking out. Mum was going, oh, it's brilliant. I was like, oh, my God, like this person looks scary. Yeah, he's come to chat to my mum. I didn't know. And then as he walked off, I remember just watching him go and he'd, <laughs> the back of his leather trousers, he'd cut a hole for each bum cheek to just sit out and he had an eye tattooed on each cheek. So if anyone wow. listens to this and remembers this guy from inner city Nottingham in the late 80s, early 90s, please get in yeah. touch. But I feel like this is a feature of a lot of, like, maybe not big cities, but a lot of small English towns have that one, like, legendary person who tramps around the place. Who <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, so from there, from sort of... You, and again, you got into actual proper politics when you were, like, 15 years old, is that right? Yeah, even younger. So, I, so from yeah. then on, I was like, right, this is a big deal. And I remember my mum really wanting Labour to win in 1992. And she wasn't over, you know, it wasn't a big political house. She wasn't a member. There was, it was just a kind of football thing. You know, it was like they were our team. Yeah. Um, and I remember just how shocked everyone was when they lost. And then, so from then on, from, so in 1992, I'd have, I'd have been nine at the time of the election. I'd have turned 10 later that year. So then 11, 12, 13, going into secondary school, Blair then becomes leader. 1997, I'm 14, you know, and that's a big difference between being eight, nine to being 14, you know? So it was just, all this was happening when I was growing up and it all felt really exciting. Um, so I tried to join the Labour Party at 14, but you have to be 15. And I, like an idiot, had seen the Socialist Worker Party in town and thought, oh, they, they're very passionate folks. And uh, I joined them for a brief period. I joined them for a, what can only have been, I mean, I remember it as a fortnight. It might have been a little bit longer than that, but it was yeah. no more than a few months. Uh, and that, that really put me off. So at a very young age, I was like, oh, God the kind of harder left stuff was not for me. And I'd figured that out even before my 15th birthday. I was like, that is their anger. I found really exciting and energizing. And it can be for a short amount of time. But as I say in the book, they were just angry all the time about everything. And I just thought, oh God, you know, it just wasn't for me. So um, I joined Labour as soon as I could. Um, and then from that point on was just fully immersed in it, it was out door knocking, leafleting. I would just do anything. It, it wasn't even like I had a plan in mind. I was just like, well, as with being a Forest fan, I would just go to games. I'd try and get all the autographs. And I applied that same logic to politics. I was like, right, yeah. I'm in. I just want to, I want to just, you know, get involved. We won't 
talk about Forest too much because it's been a difficult year for all of us. Um, <laughs> if you don't like football, Matt's team managed to concede, I think, five goals on, in one game and missed the playoffs by on goal difference on the last day of the season. I don't yeah. want to... He's currently holding his face. In, <laughs> we really conceded four. I think, yeah. I think we conceded four and Swansea scored four or whatever it was. The goal difference basically switched around and... So everything, was was the mid, everything was better in the mid-90s in uh, football and politics for you. And music. It's fair to say. I mean, when you were going to the uh, socialist worker stuff in, when you were a teenager, did it ever occur to you that these kinds of people might one day actually be running the Labour Party? I suppose no. you still had the sort of vestiges of the early 80s, so the idea of the hard left being in control was still relatively recent. I guess so, but I, I, I mean... It, you, I think you perceive time entirely around your own life, don't you? So when you're seven, you kind of feel like that's been a long time. <laughs> time seems, I remember time going really slowly as a kid. I remember each half term thinking that I was going to go up a year. I was like, why do I have to keep waiting? <laughs> to be in like year eight or yeah, nine yeah. or whatever, you know, to be in, to get senior school. So at that point, you know, I was joining the Socialist Worker Party around 1997. But actually for me, the hard left stuff was stuff I would, you know, I would only find out about in retrospect, really, because I'd only yeah. really been concentrating on politics properly for the, the couple of years around that. And even then, as much as a kind of 12 or 13 year old could. So at that point, it was obvious to me that these people on the, I mean, we used to go fly posting, you know, they'd pick me up from home. And I think, God knows what my mum thought. She was like, oh, fine, you know, join the Socialist Work Party. And then well, I was constantly like, getting chased by the police for flyposting these things. I just thought, this isn't the sort of activism I'm into. I'm not into, like, shouting. It never appealed to me. As, as, mm. as passionate as I ever was, I was like, I don't want to be screaming in people's faces. Why can't we just sort of, like, go to a meeting or something? Um, so I never thought that, you know, and then when I joined the Labour Party, I was like, oh, phew, I got out of that. I would, you know, you'd, oh, you would never have thought that, that they would have taken over. Absolutely not. No, they were very much a fringe. And even within the Labour Party, like the SWP was seen as like oddballs and cranks, however left the people in Labour were. Um, so yes. that was, you know, that hugely informed my attitude to Corbyn when all that happened. I'd sort of seen it before and I knew what they were like. Yeah, I won't spoil the book for you, but I think it's fair to say your general attitude to politics is quite ecumenical. But... <laughs> Except when it comes to the you sound like left. a vicar. I know, yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, it's come one, come all. And the same with the political parties. You've all sorts of guests from all over the political sphere. But the stuff on the on hard left, you don't really hold, but you don't pull your punches. I think you're probably no, kind of think... to Farage before them. Well, I think you have to. Um... I think both things can be true. I think you can, you know, every, people who listen to this show and listen to mine will have they're clearly defined politics but, and and that doesn't mean that they don't take a dim view of other people's politics but it also means that they're not prepared to engage with them as individuals so mm. if i had corbyn on the show and i would love to have him on i would give him the same level of respect that i give to everyone and you know i i i mean brexit just feels so outdated now but i guys the stewart on the show the other week and it's one of my favorite interviews and yes we both used to be labor people but on the referendum we took a very different view and I was just fascinated talking to her. And I thought, you know, so many insights she gave into her own thinking that I thought were great. And actually, I've always found that more interesting to talk to people that I disagreed with. Um, but that doesn't mean that you then pull your punches because, oh, there's some people I like that are involved in it. I know a lot of people that were involved with the Labour Party around Ed Miliband and all that. And it just wasn't for me. I thought, as I say in the book, I just thought it was like a, 
Yeah. If you knew you were going to lose, what the hell were you playing at? The people out there that desperately needed a Labour government, it all felt very indulgent to me. So I, I, it, it may seem contradictory, but actually I think this most people think about politics like this, even if they've even thought about it to this extent, which is they know where they stand. They know that they're repelled by, you know, and for some people they're repelled by people like me, Blairites, Ramonas, whatever, <laughs> um, or liberals or snowflake, whatever, whatever it is. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with those people or engage yeah. with them or dip your toe in and, and think about where they're coming from and find that interesting. Um, and Ed Miliband was a great guest, you know, one of the best guests that I've had on. It's just that I really disagreed with what he did to the Labour Party. That doesn't mean I can't engage with it or or try and understand it or enjoy engaging with it on that level. But if you really, yeah. you know, and I thought it was important in the book to say what I actually really thought, I thought it was a disaster. So I, I don't <laughs> hold back. So I guess, I mean, I think I, I take the same view in the sense that it's people who are sort of, tribalist and obsessive at the exclusion of all else are the kind of thing you yes. want to avoid rather than people who are passionate about politics necessarily i'm just talking yeah. i mean you've actually worked for the labor party and the way you describe it uh post vietnam ptsd is one of <laughs> <laughs> doing by-elections which yeah i mean crazy crazy times. you say that you you would after one by-election campaign you were standing in a shop just staring at the cereal like the guy from the Hurt Locker. Yeah. I mean, do you miss that at all? <laughs> you know what? In an odd way, yeah. I don't think, I think if you've ever worked for a political party, particularly when you're in government, and I think there's something, given that Labour are so rarely in government, it really is a rare privilege to be a, even the smallest cog in that huge machine and feel like, oh my God, we're not just campaigning for something, we're able to actually do stuff. This is amazing. Um, that, uh, that is highly motivated. I mean, I worked, and I sort of tell some of these tales, but I was like a, an election organiser. So I would get sent all over the UK. I was just constantly getting posted around the northwest of England to Scotland, to Wales, on by-elections, local elections, the lot. And that was, that was a really intense period in my life when I was young and single. So I didn't have a family or anything like that. I could just be posted around. And I think at that point in your career, sometimes you're really up for that sort of thing. And it felt like a kind of, and I say this having never been anywhere near any military experience, but it felt kind of slightly military level that you were doing these tours. You go into an area, you at that point, you lose and then you leave. And I loved it. I loved the kind of, I loved the heat of war. I thought it was really attractive to me to, to be out there putting the case for this thing that I really, really believed in that kind of, not too much in an evangelical way, but really enjoying the rough and tumble of by-elections. You know, they are yeah. eccentric and they're intense. And I don't think I've ever woken up with the same type of drive as I did when I worked for the party. When I worked for the party, it was probably the most, not personally driven, but driven for like the organization I was working for. I mean, now I basically work for myself and obviously that's hugely rewarding and I'm a very driven person. Um, but that was something really, and it was, it was like a mixture of either being in the army or, or in a weird way, like being in a religious group or being in the priesthood or something like that, I can see how people get radicalized because there is something about, you know, you convince yourself that what you're doing is not only enjoyable, but it's for like the greater good. Yeah. And, and that is that is highly motivating. So in a weird way, even though I would not want to do it now, part of me does miss it. I guess politics is such, I don't know if people who, who sort of follow politics realize quite how intense the lifestyle is and if you didn't have that sort of true belief whether people would put themselves through that yeah 
definitely. You need to. You, you need it, particularly if you're going to do it for any period of time, because I think a lot of people will just get scared off. It requires yeah. a huge level of sacrifice. It, you know, it's total. It's not like, and I know other jobs are like this, but if you're working for the Labour Party, there's never an hour in the day you're not working for it. Right. Because politics is total. It is permanent. It is 24 hours a day. And so you don't have any spare time, really. You're just going home to sleep. And that's yeah. bad because people burn out. Um, but it is so consuming. And I suppose in a way, if, if you're into it, then that's magic. That's what you want. But I think there's only a certain amount of time you can sustain that, even if you are a true, true believer. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And also sometimes, of course, you have to do stunts and dress up and follow politicians around. Do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I dressed up as a chicken and followed Charles Kennedy around in the Leicester South by-election in 2004. And that was... Um, Obviously, it happened. At, I, the first time I remember it was in ninety or maybe ninety two. Like I think Major got yellow, to. fluffy chicken, like kind of uh, the Daily Mirror guy. Used to exactly have. that. That exact same outfit. Yeah. So it wasn't like a it was um, literally the same outfit. Like, <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it was the precise, but it was the same. You know? I didn't, it wasn't like hand, it wasn't like Johnny Marr handing over a guitar to Noel Gallagher. Like share costumes to cut down. With <laughs> but it was the same style. You know, it's the kind yeah, of yeah. big yellow, fluffy outfit with then a rubber bird mask, which you can't see out of. No one tells you this. The eyes, the holes are in the nostrils, so you have to sort of tilt this chicken head back to see out. You've only, you were seeing through like a tiny little peephole like that. Yeah. You get pushed into the it street. You then got dangerous. to find Charles Kennedy. It's yeah. really dangerous. And of course, yeah. you're then approaching, I mean, I know they're Lib Dems, but like they're, they're not going to be happy to see you. You know, they, they may have a reputation for being sort of lentily impacifist. But when you show up dressed as a chicken and you're trying to barge your way in, to get near their leader and disrupt their yeah. whole stunt. You know, they're not happy. I mean, Kennedy was amazing. I was, I'd always been a fan of his, but he'd always deal with it 
you go, here we go again. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> think this is the time to tell you that uh, I think I ate one of your relatives at KFC last night. He was, just was great with it. I think at the end of the campaign, he had a photo with me as well. I was always like, I'm so sorry about this. So it's not me in there. And then yeah. they'd have someone else with a loud hailer going, Lib Dem, soft on crime, soft on thugs, soft on drugs. Lib Dem, soft on crime, soft on thugs, soft on drugs. And I would sort of cluck and like flap along to this almost like tribal beat. Right. It was surreal. You're like, well, is this, this going to change anyone's... There were some times when I was in that suit at the height of summer. Yeah. Whose who's mind is going to be changed by this? Probably put a few, but Lib Dems won that by-election, which probably tells you. <laughs> yeah, they did. Palm Jit Singh Gill, although they lost it in the 2005 election, so they, they uh, only okay. had it briefly. One of those ones. But they did win the by-election. But they are actually, yeah, like, like you say, they're pretty ruthless when it comes to local elections. That's sort of their forte. Well, that's it? one of the well, that's one of the first things you learn. You know, you can watch. This is why I think it's really good to have actually worked in it because there are so many people who talk and write about politics, and until you've been in it, you, even just as a member, that gives you a world more insight than so many people have, than so many commentators have. Because I speak, to, I, I still talk to people now who are bright people who go. Oh, you know, Labour and the Lib Dems. I'm like, you do not understand the hatred. And this was before tuition fees. This was before Corbyn. This has been a, like a long running sore. Those two parties hate each other way more than they hate the Tories. The Tories yeah. are always <laughs> like, in any by-election generally, the Tories are really polite. They're, you know, they conduct themselves in a particular, I'm sure people listening to this may have had different experiences, but in my experience, they were always kind of fine. Um, There'd be a bit of malarkey, but the Lib Dems, man, they were always the ones that pushed it. They were always the ones, their leaflets would stretch the truth more than any. They had more kind of, they were trickstery more than any other party, I think. They were really cheeky and provocative. Yeah, Yeah, and that kind of, that was weird that at the last election, that's the first time they've really been asked about it. Joe Swinson was having to justify these things. And I (laughs) I remember watching, I think, we did this for like 30 years. It's a bit late to start going over these Lib Dem bar charts. I know I had uh, we had Tim Harford on the uh, podcast the other day and I was like you should totally do a Lib Dem episode where you just do stats stats for Lib Dems. Um, yeah. I mean, do you think if the call came you would ever consider doing anything professionally with politics again or is that is that firmly over now? I think that's firmly over. I think it, it is so I have so much respect for anyone who works in it really in the mainstream obviously because it it does take over your life. And it is exhausting. And I think sometimes it's really hard to make good decisions in the heat of it all. Politics is so chaotic. So I'm not, and, and also I just, I did it at a time when I, I, you know, that could just be my entire life. Whereas now I like having what, what spare time I get. And when you're self-employed, sometimes you go a long time without having any time off. But I like being able to go to, when life returns, to go to football and to go to the pub and not feel like, oh, I'm going to have to be like all professional now. You know, it's yeah. kind of, I feel like oh, I've had my professional years. I'm having fun right. now. Obviously I work really hard at having fun and, you know, I'm a professional in the way that I can do myself when I'm at work at the moment. But you think, oh man, like I'm working on spitting image. Why would I want to go back? What, what sort of idiot would go, oh no, I'm working on this amazing show. I think I'd rather... I think I'd rather be a political advisor. Yeah, we have to we have to talk about spitting image. I mean, so you do Donald Trump, I know. Um, I've seen your stage show, so I've heard quite a lot of your the one um, 
Do you do that? Is David Cameron on it at all? Cameron's is not he... on it. No, it's, it's, yeah. there aren't many. Re- there's no real retro puppets there. So it's right, I okay. do Boris, Trump, and Starmer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm one of the writers on it as well. So it's full. You know, it's a full time job just writing on it, let alone doing the voices. Yeah, um, and when you're, is there a process you go through when you're doing someone's voice? I mean, presum- presumably there are some people where you just have an ear for it and you can fairly instantly do it, and others maybe you're listening to. So I think Starmer, for example, it sounds like he's got his nose blocked, so you can kind of go, yes. Well, what I say? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's got a. Well, I, I'm getting. Yeah. You know what? I've had so much stick for saying this. Someone told me I was being too cruel actually the other day for saying that he sounded like he had a blocked nose. But that's oh, yeah, basically yeah. it. You you try and find the kind of basic thing. It sounds like he's got a blockage. I, I, I agree with the prime minister. We would agree with the prime minister when he gets it right. We disagree when he gets it wrong. And there's that slight element of judgment in the voice. No, 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 no. There's a kind of <laughs> almost just Whittaker-y yeah. kind of air to it. So if, if you've got one that you think similar, you think well. So we'll start with Josh Riddick and go from there. Whereas Boris is far less controlled and disciplined. And he, you know, with Boris, you start off with oh, you, 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 uh, uh, the kind of background borderline chuntering. I think as well with Boris, you know, sometimes if you can sum up someone's personality in a phrase or something they would say, and I think with Boris, he's always like, oh, come on. Oh, come on. You know, whenever, whenever a question is put to him, that sort of mocking credulity, when he would sort of frown at them halfway through the question, Oh, come on, oh, come on. Then. You know, they say, Prime Minister, you've insulted pretty much every ethnic minority in this country. Oh, come on, oh, come on. And he's always sort of looking off as if there's some sort of mystery person. You know, you know, I noticed that on some of the Zoom things that he did during the lockdown. He's sort of smirking off. Now, there may well be someone there, but there's definitely not someone there all the time. He has this kind of conspiratorial look around as if he's looking for a linesman or an official that's kind of going to get him out of <laughs> Oh, come on, are you, what, are you, come on. I, I, but, no, I, 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 I do, so the various uh, sort of verbal uh, uh, ticks, uh, so you start off with the, uh, maybe sort of chantry, uh, and there's the periodic uh, you know, burst of uh, energy, I do know it's going to be great, you know, world beating, uh, I think we can do it, I think we can Olympics, uh, we, we, we see. I, and I think we are, and then, and then there are times when it really slow down, no, 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 but I, no, no, this is serious, no, I, and I think we do, uh, and uh, you know, I, I really do. And then there are other times where he will really emphasize every sort of he'll stretch a syllable out. You know, I noticed it when he was interviewed about spit and image. Actually, the way he, the word the way he said the word puppet. You know, I, I, when I first saw the the puppet, and he, you get that lovely. It's almost like he's sort of accordions out and in sometimes. They're really um, satisfying to 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 listen to, notice, and then perform. And then there's the thing where he will. It's almost like he's gone into a room and forgotten what he's gone in for. So I think it's whenever I'm impersonating him at short notice, I always try and have like a number of organisations or things that have acronyms and words. So it'd be stuff like, you know, I, 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 we pay tribute to our great uh, national uh, NHS. Uh, and, and the same without the EU, uh, the European uh, EU. Uh, and it's almost like he can't quite lay his hand on the word and he has to fall back on what the letters are. So just those... There's kind of two or three things, as well as obviously you have to get the voice sounding right, but they're the kind of verbal ticks that I've noticed that he has. You find when you're developing your impersonations of um, these politicians that it kind of gives you a bit of an idea or an insight into maybe the way they think and their character from the way that they speak? I think so. It definitely makes... With Boris, it made me... or certainly. I, it makes you think that I do, whether I do or not is another question, I guess. But 
Um, yeah, with Boris, you kind of get, you get the sense of nerves. Actually, they're all quite nervous things. The, the rushed speaking, the, the 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 inability to to just slow down and think calmly and, and find those phrases immediately. Obviously, some of it's concocted. And the thing is, with Boris, he realizes that it it kind of works, and it kind of compared to other people, it makes him stand out. It does make him superficially more entertaining. <laughs> I can pick up from there. <laughs> Sorry, I just had a heater on that's right. buzzing. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying. <laughs> it does make him superficially more entertaining. Um, so the, oh, yeah, come on, you know, and he, obviously that whole shambolic thing is a, is a comedic device. Um, I mean, come on, you, you notice it in you know sort of rich British comic tradition of characters like that that are, blah, 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 you know people kind of like a kind of flash heart or. There's a kind of Jeeves and Worcestery kind of uh, element to it. And it just sounds quite funny anyway. Quite a funny noise to make with your mouth. So um, I think it makes you realise that he likes making people laugh, which obviously is who doesn't like, but for him, it's a real priority. He's, I think, really sensitive. And I think you can see that anyway. I don't think you have to impersonate to pick up on that. Thin-skinned, real, really wants people to like him. And if they don't, it really hurts him. He kind of can't live with that as, as well as other previous prime ministers perhaps um and you i tell you what i think i just think i i think he looks nervous so often he does that thing sometimes where his mouth opens but the word doesn't immediately come out and i, I think there, was a, there were a couple of addresses um at the start of covid where and we need to get on top where his mouth was like open wide it was almost like he was sort of gasping for air he couldn't quite do the serious stuff that well and i think he was really nervous um, and of course, there was that first address, I think, as Prime Minister, where he really rushed it outside number 10. Mm. So that's my main thing, actually. Impersonating him is, I think, giving me an insight into the fact that a lot of the time, he's a lot more nervous than he would like us to be. Yeah, it's something that people say often is that he is actually a lot more shy than, than people say. So, I mean, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. And I think, yeah, it makes sense. Especially the thing about the, the pauses. Yeah, oh, quite. Um, but it's when he opens his eyes and his mouth really yeah. wide, you know. You go, <laughs> fucking um, hell! I thought that word was never going to come out. The other one you do is—I've heard you do it before. It's very accurate. It's Donald Trump. I mean, the thing I get—I mean, everyone, you know, has tried to do a Trump impression at some yeah. point—is when you try and do his mannerisms. And like now in this campaign, it's been a bit more obvious. Is that it's just how camp he is. Like the kind yes. of little circular oh, yeah. hand movements and stuff like that. Like, very he's almost camp. like a he's like a stand-up comedian, isn't he? Like, yes, he, he's very camp. He's he's he nervous a lot of the time as well. Although I think his rallies, he, he feels pretty good. But I think when he's in front of the media, he's nervous. When it's like you know the press con, if it's not entirely on home turf, you can see his nervous tells a bit more. But he's very camp, and has I like the little sort of look he does. I know this is an audio medium, but you'll be able to see me on Zoom. He does a little sort of cock of the head thing sometimes at the end of things where it's a wry smile. And he'll go, and we knew, we knew, by the way, we knew all along. They did not know, but now we're being proved right. So, And it's like a little, hmm, told you so. And he, he kind of even has that kind of, hmm, Yeah, Matt that looks sort of exactly it, like Donald Trump at this point. Um, those, <laughs> I side should point smile, out. kind of like little weird cock of the head. Yeah. Sort of leans forward with one side of his face. Dodgy stuff. And, uh, you know, from impersonating him, obviously, the, the guy has absolutely no grasp of detail at all, which is why he's just rambling. And the need to, the need to reassure himself throughout a speech is unlike any 
major leader I think any of us have ever seen. No one ever feels the need to say, you know, to announce again. We're going to have, I think it's going to be very sunny this afternoon. And I think the sun will come up, by the way. And a lot of people are saying that maybe they won't see the sun, but I do know that. And many people are saying that it was true and that it will be true. And there you go. You know, what? Fine. If you're announcing it, you know, it's so strange that need to, and I do know that. I do know. I know a lot of things, by the way. That kind of need to show up to demonstrate knowledge. Corbyn had that as well, where, they give the impression that actually they've, they've only just found this stuff out, but they need to tell you because otherwise you're not going to take them seriously. Yeah. So obviously you have interviewed, not just worked with, but with the political party, with your big kind of uh, cross-party podcast that you do, um, you've interviewed tons of politicians. I wonder which, which do you think would have made good stand-up comedians? I'm thinking... William Hague, for example, I always thought was very funny list. in the chamber. Um, Top of the list. Really funny. Yeah. Because he's got everything a comedian needs where he can craft really good lines. He can deliver them really well. You've got fast wits. He's kind of got an enormous reservoir of lines to, to choose from. But what he's also got is a really funny voice that he uses as well. And when I think of the comedians that... Like at the moment, I would say Kevin Bridges is probably the best comedian that I've seen in a very long time. If I had to pick my favourite stand-up at the moment, I would say it's Kevin Bridges. That mm. is someone with a really distinctive, quite odd voice who really uses a... Chinese. And you're like, he, he, he realises what ability he's got. Just, he uses everything. And with Hague, well... He knew how to deliver a line and to use his quite odd delivery to his advantage. And he was is a masterclass in how you wring every natural resource out of your personality to make yourself as funny as possible. So I'd say he would be top of the list. Um, Tony Blair has really good comic timing and a really good, he has a kind of campness and a, yeah. a, like a facial and vocal range. So the delivery is very good. Saeed Avazi is one of the funniest people I've ever met. She's got really fast wits and a really like she got fucking she's got quite an outrageous sense of humour. So yeah, this is in Matt's book. Ever... I suggest, uh, by the way, yeah. you want to read a bit about Saida's uh, quips. Uh... Well, yeah, we did the Christmas special of the podcast where I always get uh, crackers and things because I just think that's quite a funny way to. St- and they're always like deliberately more comedic those interviews. They're kind of end of term. And the first one I did with David Davis, where it was in the coalition years, and he pulled a cracker. And we both pulled two at the same time. And I think he won both. And it was a red hat or a yellow hat. I said, oh, which one would you rather wear? And he went, uh, red, anything but the fucking liberals. And this is during the coalition coalition years. Then Saida Varsi basically won every cracker pull with Nick Clegg. I said, bloody hell, you're good at this. She went, yeah, us uh, us Muslims are good at... um, I think it was something like good at things like explosive devices or like some joke about that. I've now ruined it. She said something like, yeah, we're good at practicing with explosive devices or words to that effect. I was like, jeez. People didn't know whether they were around. To... Nick Clegg was like total like white man guilt. Just like, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, didn't know whether he could laugh at it or not. I was just like, oh, God. Yeah, she is. Uh, she will go there. She's very funny. I think just to um, just to finish off on a slightly more serious note, but connected to your your podcast, I mean, you talk a lot in the book and, and you have on, on this podcast as well on your previous experience about how important it is to, you know, take in different ideas and, and refresh your own thinking and stuff. I just wonder who on the traditional sort of right of politics have you read or heard and thought, 
well, that's actually changed the way I think about that thing. Or I've realised I might not agree with it, but I understand the motivations for it. I think it's good to follow. So um, I'm just thinking of the people that I follow, people like Robert Colville, um, Ian Martin. Always a good I one just on follow- this. <laughs> 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 chief, yeah. Yeah, I just always think of, for me, moderate centre-right voices. You know, it doesn't mean you have to expose yourself to the really hard stuff that you're going to completely disagree with. Um, to the left or to the right of you uh, or people who are completely unreasonable and sadly on social media there are a lot of them but if you can find the moderate right voices you know people yeah I'd say Robert Colville, Ian Martin uh, who else is there that I follow I mean I follow so many people you kind of Twitter happens so quickly I almost can't remember who I'm following but uh, well people like Matthew Paris um, who else is there yeah, I mean, I guess people like that, the sort of moderate Tory way. And I follow a few, Bre- you know, I follow a lot of Brexiteers. I try and follow every MP anyway, because I just think it's really interesting to see what MPs are saying. Um, so if there are ones that annoy you, I guess you can kind of mute them. But I think it is good. You know, for me, obviously, I can slightly more predispose to the One Nation Tory group than I am the Brexiteers. But in a world where Brexit is happening and that comprises the majority of the talent pool of the current UK government, what good would it be for me to completely stop listening to what they're saying? You know, I'm someone who, as well as having my own views, actually is interested in to, uh, as to what the government is trying to do to the country, for good or for bad. I want to try and understand some of the the issues on uh, on which they're legislating, the laws they want to change. So I think it's a mixture. of Find the moderate voices if you can, and they're not too hard to find. Um, also, d- do follow a few people that might piss you off a bit, <laughs> but not too many, because otherwise then it becomes painful. Well, Matt, I think I always like to end these podcasts on a positive note. So I think uh, listen a bit more to the other side and we might all get, you know, a bit of better understanding of things. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I, I follow you. I don't know if you count as a Tory. I'm not sure. Ooh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that for uh, people. <laughs> that I'm, actually kind of, I'm sort of non-party, really. I only kind of have a, I'm a bit of a plague on all their houses kind of guy, which I think is, yeah, oh, is um, a Kate nice Andrews place is good to I'm now thinking of people I should have said. Kate Andrews is good, and I follow some of yeah. the sort of Adam Smith type people, even though I can't say I agree with a lot of what they say, or, or perhaps even any. But I think it's good to listen to some of those sort of more provocative, because Kate Andrews is really polite. She is, yeah. Even if I disagree with what she's saying, so I'm like, well, that's a nice way in. So if it's someone you kind of like, you go, oh. and that's part of it. <laughs> you kind of have to realise that most people are, well, everyone is a human being, and. Uh, that does help you know it's so easy to just see people as yeah evil when they're not (laughs) so i'm just going to round up with a a shameless plug for uh your various bits so spitting image is on britbox is that right britbox every saturday for another five Uh, plenty to write about at the moment and yeah matt's book uh politically homeless is out now in all good bookshops and i have read it and it is a great laugh there's some really funny anecdotes in there including the one about matt dressing up as a chicken um and whatever your politics i think you'll enjoy it so uh yeah, oh, that's go very and buy, kind, buy matt's book basically and thank you thanks very, very much. much for joining us mate cheers, cheers. Mate. thank you and whatever your politics i think you'll enjoy it so uh yeah, oh, that's go very and buy, kind, buy matt's book basically and thank you thanks very, very much. much for joining us mate cheers, cheers. Mate. thank you bye now
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.